same spirit and there are varieties of service but the same Lord and there are varieties of activities but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much and good evening everyone again. It's really good to have you here. And I guess most of you have been tracking along with us in 1 Corinthians. Um, I'm not sure what night this is, what number of night this is. Is it number 11? I think it feels like much more, number 12. I have no idea. But we're just slowly working our way through this incredible letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Corinth was in Greece. Um, It was a harbor city and there were two aspects to the harbor city. Um, in terms of exactly where geographically it was situated. And there was a little church there, um, quite a significant little church, uh, and it comprised both Jew and Gentile, and it was an incredibly gifted church. And I guess they were those who, I suppose, we could identify most closely with as we um, look at Scripture and we see ourselves perhaps in what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. So we're going to have a look at this Um, not so contentious, not so divisive, not so difficult topic of spiritual gifts. All right, two weeks ago it was gender, a couple of other weeks ago it was marriage and same-sex relationships, so on and so forth. So, yes, anyway, um, so uh, I'm not going to ask you to pray. We're going to be quiet. I'm going to ask you to pray for me, to pray for yourself as if you're the only person here that God would speak to you and that he would open up your heart, open up your mind. So I'm going to pray, but we'll pray silently. Let's pray. Father, please help us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. So what makes someone spiritual? Uh, we'll need to work on a bit of a definition of spiritual, but I think, I think more or less those who are very heavenly-minded, those who are very spiritual, those who approach life, knowing that God is there, knowing that the world is not all that there is, what makes someone spiritual? I guess you might include in that prayer life. You might include in that church attends. You might include in that whatever it is. Those are the things. Those are the ingredients of making someone spiritual. I wonder, do you think you are spiritual, a spiritual person? Do you think spiritual thoughts? Do you have the Bible, an app? Is it open most of the time on your phone? Are you coming along to growth groups? Is that what we mean by spiritual? Well, back then, the word spiritual, remember this was a very religious city, 
there were temples upon temples upon temples. There was a lot of talk about God. There was a lot of talk about various gods. There was a lot of interest in religion. In fact, it was very active in Corinth, so much so that the temples in Corinth, as part of their sustaining, part of their sustenance, would send prostitutes out, temple prostitutes out every night. Something like 3,000 of them went out in order to fund the temple's work, the various temples' work. So Corinth was an incredibly spiritual city. What makes someone super spiritual? This was the problem or the big issue in the church at Corinth. There were those who considered themselves super spiritual. There were those who, like everything else in Corinth, had a bit of a competition going on with their neighbors in the church. I'm going to be more spiritual than you, and I'm going to evidently show my spirituality. And the way that that was done was, quite simply, through ecstatic experience. And the more ecstatic experience you could display, the more spiritual you were. That was the thinking. And I guess that that is not too far removed from today. The more engaged in spiritual experiences, the better for you. The more you're engaged in various things, esoteric things, things not of this world and not earthly, not physical. Rather, you get caught up in a particular zone, and that is what it means to be spiritual, in fact, super spiritual. So, the things that you may look for are experiences, experiences of the Spirit, experiences where you feel the Spirit, where you feel Him move you, where, and please forgive me if I'm wrong in this, where so much so your feeling so much so overspills and overflows in your mouth, and you begin to speak spiritual words. You kind of speak spiritual talk. It's esoteric. It's ecstatic. And that is clearly the mark of being really spiritual, isn't it? Being truly and really spiritual is the more experiential that you are, the more spiritual you are. In fact, you are superly spiritual. And this is the way the Corinthians thought about spirituality. Now, we said that this spiritual church, this very significantly super spiritual church, had loads going on in it. So there's lots of leaderism, chapter 1, where people would queue up behind a particular leader like Apollos, like Paul, like in chapter 3. There were those who taught and those who planted seeds. There were those who spoke and encouraged the church to grow. But sometimes that growth was not with true materials. Chapter 5, there was a man sleeping with his mother-in-law. Chapter 6, there was lots of sexual morality in the church. This spiritual church had all of this going on within it. Something had gone wrong. So, what makes someone super spiritual? You may not know this person. He's the Archbishop of Canterbury, Archbishop Justin Welby. Some of you may have heard him. He pops up now and again. And this was something from a couple of years ago where he spoke about his spirituality, in fact, his super spirituality, which is all to do with ecstatic experience, ecstatic gifts, speaking in tongues. 
And this was, I think, at least in the Mail Online, the Guardian, BBC News, the Guardian, again, the Mail Online, Guardian, this was their reckoning. Here is the most, possibly the most spiritual man in the UK. And what's the mark of his spirituality? It is this ecstatic experience, speaking in tongues. The charismatic gifts, we believe, are evidences of true spirituality. The Corinthians also believed there were evidences of true spirituality. The pagans and the various religions, the various cults, had tongues speaking within them, had prophetic words within them, had really significant spiritual experience, and that was a big value of the people in Corinth, of the world in Corinth, not just the Christians, but the world in Corinth. Remember we've said before that the first letter of the Corinthians, we know that the Corinthians were not denying the gospel. They were not saying, no, Jesus did not die for your sins. They were not saying that God does not exist. They were not saying that. Rather, what they were doing is they were taking the gospel, but maintaining their lens through which they understood and read the gospel taking the value of the world around them, the values of the people around them, and reading the gospel message. And that's why Paul, in chapter 1, talks about how the message of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, chapter 1. Their view of true spirituality was how much can you demonstrate or show that you're truly spiritual, super spiritual, in fact. And when you look at the Archbishop of Canterbury here and you read that he speaks in tongues every day, you think, oh, that guy is super spiritual. I would like to be like him. But how does Paul address this issue? How does Paul address the experiential side of being a Christian, of trusting in Christ, and is there an elite, elite, who have the gifts that God gives them? I, I think that probably what was going on was that there was a little crowd of people within Corinth who were the super spiritual, and everyone else felt quite inadequate. Everyone else felt like three-cylinder Christians, not four-cylinder Christians. So how does he handle it? What does he say to them? And in fact, what does this obsession with being super spiritual lead to? Well, as we'll read, huge division. So let's have a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14. Interestingly, and we'll just stop on this for a second, there are three chapters here, 12, 13, and 14. Chapter 12, you've got a Bible in front of you. I know a lot of you have just brought your growth group booklets with you. Chapter 12 is about gifts, <coughs> where they're from, and what they're for. That's chapter 12. Then chapter 13 is about love. Isn't that strange that he goes from gifts right to love? And then he comes back a bit to focus on these particular gifts, tongues and prophecy, and the outsider. So that chapter 3 is that very famous passage on love. Love does not hold grudges. Love is patient. Love is kind. Why is that there? If you were writing this, where would you put chapter 13? I certainly would not put it there between 12 and 14. Because 12 is about gifts, 14 is about gifts. Surely love is a whole other topic, unrelated 
to those gifts passages. Well, actually, as you'll see this week, next week, the week after, and the week after that, chapter 13 is Paul's point in writing to them. That this hugely gifted church, this hugely super spiritual church, had no real interest in loving the other members of the church. So chapter 12 is about gifts, where they're from and what they're for. These grace gifts from the generous Holy Spirit. And this is a big thing that he wants to say. Corinthians, the Holy Spirit is generous. He gives gifts, and they are from God's grace. So that's chapter 12. Let's get stuck into chapter 12 here. And the first point is, being truly spiritual is about Jesus. Notice, not the Spirit, but Jesus. Verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that you have the Holy Spirit? How do you measure it? Is it by being super spiritual? Well, the test is very, very simple. Have you declared in your life, in your mind, in your heart, out of your mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord? If you have, then you have the Spirit. If you have, then you are a Christian. Have you declared that Jesus is Lord in your life? Is Jesus your Lord? Are you a Christian? You may be here this evening and you wonder what all of this is about. Well, very simply, it's acknowledging that Jesus is the King of your life and asking Him to forgive your sin and to make you brand new, really clean. So being truly spiritual is about Jesus. And this is the first point, because obviously there was some kind of division or some kind of grouping within the church at Corinth that didn't really feel as if they were spiritual. They looked around and saw the tongues speakers, for example, saw those who've got the gifts of healing, saw those who've got the gifts of prophecy, and maybe felt slightly inadequate beside them. And you can understand that, can't you? But Paul reassures them that the true test of whether you've got the Spirit of God is have you declared that Jesus is Lord? So verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brother, I do not want you to be uninformed. This was a, a kind of typical way. He starts various sections of his letter like this. There's one on this, there's one on um, relationships, there's one on the resurrection, and so on and so forth. Paul just, this is a, a new thought, a new idea. Concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. And he marks, verse 2 here, that spiritual gifts, at least those ecstatic spiritual gifts, were present in the pagan religions that they followed. You know that when you were pagan, you were led astray to mute idols. However you were led, that might have been in a procession. There were various religious processions, pagan religious processions. So he may mean that. He may mean coming under the influence of something, the influence of someone. But it all led to this. It all led to the feeling, yes, I am spiritual, truly spiritual, but actually it wasn't of the Spirit of God. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. I mean, every other religion in the world, this is what's claimed. Every other religion in the world, Jesus is nothing, or he's a prophet, or he's a good teacher. 
or he's a kind of fine example, but not Lord. So when we look around and we examine whether the views or the messages of the various religions around us are true and of the Spirit of God, here is the test. Is Jesus accursed or is he Lord? As a, as a young man, which is not that long ago, people are laughing, not that long ago, I lived with a couple of guys and they went to a particular church and they, they one evening tried to pray for me to speak in tongues, to be baptized in the Spirit. And it threw me, I was 18 years of age, it really threw me. And they, they said to me, you don't have the Spirit of God. You haven't been baptized in the Spirit. I've been a Christian for about seven years at that point. I've moved away from home, was living on Belfast. And I, it didn't work. And they kept praying and praying and praying and praying. It just didn't take, didn't work. And maybe you've had that kind of experience where there are those around you who say you need this experience because somehow you're inadequate. You're not completely a Christian. But I had from X number of years before that moment been declaring that Jesus is Lord. Did I have the Spirit? And I meant it. It just wasn't kind of words that rolled off my mouth when I was singing them or when I was just speaking them by saying those sorts of words. I meant it. Jesus is Lord. Without the Spirit of God, you cannot declare that Jesus is Lord. Without the Spirit of God, you're not a Christian. Without the Spirit of God, you do not know Christ. Without the Spirit of God, this is really significant, really important. If someone tries to tell you you don't have the Spirit, have you declared that Jesus is Lord in your life? Do you believe it in your heart? Has it spilled out of your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord? Jesus, the only Son of God. Jesus, the only Savior of the world. Jesus, the King of the universe. Have you declared that? Then you've got the Spirit of God. You can't do that without the Spirit of God. He is the one who makes you alive so that you can say this. He's the one who works intricately, hiddenly almost, inside of you to bring your attention and to turn your affections towards the Lord Jesus Christ, where you know, where you know that you've been forgiven your sin, where you know inside of you that Jesus is Lord. And of course, He is Lord. He's been raised from the dead, and He is Lord. He's ascended into heaven, and he will come back again someday to judge everyone and everything. That is Jesus. He's been raised from the dead. He's been raised into heaven, and he is Lord. Have you acknowledged that in your life? That's the very basic Christian commitment. Creed, Jesus is Lord. And for them in Corinth, X number of years ago, it was potentially life-threatening because Caesar is Lord. The Caesar, the, the, the despot, the de despotic ruler is Lord. He was considered to be Lord. So this could get your head lopped off. 
declaring that Jesus is Lord. So being truly spiritual is about Jesus. Truly spiritual is about this declaration of Jesus where your heart, mind, life turned around from cursing Jesus to submitting to Jesus. Sorry to labor this, but this is the qualification. Some of them in Corinth may not have felt terribly spiritual because there were these other guys who were evidently spiritual. But Paul, level playing field, is Jesus Lord? Being truly spiritual is about Jesus. Number two, being truly spiritual is about diversity and unity. Now there are, verse four, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Here we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in reverse order. Verse four, let's focus on the spirit. You know that God is three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here Paul draws on that to show, look, Jesus is diverse with the Father, with the Son. He is not the same as the Father, as the Son, but they're entirely unified in their direction and purpose. And one of the side effects of this super spirituality that was going on in the church at Corinth, which was influenced not by Christ, but by the pagan religions around them, they hadn't really properly set those things aside, was significant disunity. They were not unified. That's why whenever you get into chapter 13, he talks about love and acceptance and forgiveness. It's a big issue. There are various parties in the church of Corinth. We find that out even in chapter 1. As early as chapter 1, he talks about the Paul party. He talks about the Peter party. He talks about the Apollos party. No unity. So, where does he draw them? How does Paul commend being spiritual? There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. The variety of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. The gracious, kind, merciful, generous Holy Spirit gives us gifts and gives us a variety of gifts all from the same spirit. You see this? Varieties of, and then there's reference to God. Same spirit here. This is where the spiritual gifts originate from. This is precisely what's been going on in Corinth. They were not acknowledging that the giftedness and gifts came from God. Instead, they were using them to cause division and divide. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. So you may have this one gift, or you may have this other gift, or you may have this other gift, and that's the way it should be. No two people ought to look alike. No two people ought to be the same. No two members within the church family ought to have the same strengths, the same abilities, the same God-given gifts, spirit-given gifts. A variety of gifts, but the same spirit from the generous Holy Spirit. God is not stingy. He gives incredible gifts. But what for? Then there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. If 
you want to understand exactly what gifts are about, you go to Jesus. What is Jesus' posture to his people? It's one of service, isn't it? It's one of giving up his life as a ransom for many. It's a one of him coming to earth to die on a cross in complete oblivion and ignominy as he serves his people in dying for them. So who is our model? It is Jesus. And what's the nature of the gifts? Well, there's a variety. There's various gifts. And whenever we go on into chapter 12, when we go back to chapter 14, and when we get to chapter 14 in a couple of weeks, you'll see the list of gifts. There's loads, loads and loads and loads. Gifts, service, and workings, plural. Gifts of activity, or the varieties of activities. But it is the same Lord who empowers them all and everyone. There are perhaps those who were particularly gifted in one area. And they may have been lording it over others who are gifted in another particular area. Not everyone can play the keyboard. Not everyone can sing. Not everyone can do woodworky type stuff. Not everyone can do administration. Not everyone can do all of those things. It would be a really, really boring church and really, really boring if every single one of you were just really good singers. I'm not saying that you're not really good singers, um, but sometimes when you're down at the back, you just, there are some squeaks. Um, <laughs> would it be really boring? And what would be achieved? How could we reach the world for the Lord Jesus if everyone was an IT specialist? If everyone was a preacher? How could we reach the world with Jesus, it takes many, many, many diverse gifts. And these come from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Paul really ramps it up here, doesn't he? Let's chat about gifts. Wow, God's involved. A variety of gifts, but the same Spirit from the generous Holy Spirit. He is so kind. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, who is our model, who is our example, the Lord Jesus Christ, the serving Lord Jesus Christ. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So Paul is arguing for this, I think, equal playing field, isn't he? That, that there isn't a, a better gift than that other one. There isn't that gift which will kind of mark you out as the special Christian. That is not the way this works. Being truly spiritual is about diversity and unity. We see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or Son, Spirit, Father, Holy Spirit, Son, Father. So being truly spiritual is about university, not universe, is about unity and diversity. Being truly spiritual is about Jesus. And finally, being truly spiritual is about others. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And here we're getting a bit of a list. Utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, 
to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Notice where tongues comes. That was probably the thing, the test for those who are truly spiritual in Corinth. But notice where it comes in the list. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So being truly spiritual is about others. It's not about yourself. Has not become the focus of spiritual gifts. Has not become the, the focus, I guess, of, well, here is my spiritual gift and I will exercise it on my own for myself. Either for myself, for my experience, to reassure me that God is there, that Jesus loves me, to reassure me, or to show off. I've got this gift, and it's better than your gift. This is what was going on in the church in Corinth. These gifts were used to separate. These gifts were used to kind of, well, get one over on another. Whenever we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we've got to be honest. In a lot of these, we, we don't know precisely, exactly, accurately what Paul is getting at here. What is knowledge? What is faith by the same Spirit? Surely, faith is to do with salvation and trusting. What is, how is that a gift? Gifts of healing by the one Spirit. We know less than we think. We know less than perhaps we claim to know. We don't really know what is going on here. We, we don't have the videotape of the church of Corinth where all these gifts were being exercised. We don't have that. There isn't a glossary in the New Testament for these various gifts, an index, a definition. But we just know that these are things that are used to serve the common good, whatever those gifts are. It's not about you. It's about the other. It's about your neighbor in the church pew. It's about those who are weak in the faith, those who are weak in the gospel, those who are not so sure about things, who are not so, those who are not so sure about themselves, those who are not so sure whether they are Christians or not. These gifts are there to build them up, not to build you up. Our focus is in the wrong direction, isn't it? Where we think the gifts are about me and about my aggrandizement, about my name, my reputation, having others say great things about me. Oh, you should go to that church because see that fella, he's brilliant. He can do this. What are we doing? We're reducing the gospel to a trick, to a magic show. So, we know less than we think. The purpose, we're told, is for the common good. So, if the gifts aren't being used to build everyone up, well, then really, are they truly spiritual, truly giftedness? Being spiritual is about others. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. That's discernment. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. The Holy Spirit is a person. 
He is not a force. This is the contrast between spirituality of Paul and the pagan world around them. The pagan world around them, the spirits around them, were impersonal forces. But the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, is a person, not a force. See these other gifts, to the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. This is picked up again later on in chapters 12, 13, and 14, the issue of tongues. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force. And therefore, all Christians are charismatics. You're gifted. You have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve this church family. What is your gift? And are you using it in the service one of the other? And it's fantastic to see all of the service teams. Please do not think they are not important. Please do not think that they do not count. Please do not think at all, ever, that they're not spiritual. You, you see, the words that we use as we proclaim the good news of Jesus, the words that we use are to be directed and pointed towards Him. The actions that we take as members of a church family is to exemplify what Jesus did in serving us by going to the cross, by dying instead of us and for us, and therefore nothing ought to be a bother or a hassle. It ought not to be the thing that you do last. It ought not to be the thing that you don't plan for. It ought not to be the thing that gets your last thought. Is not the way often, is not the way our weeks are organized. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and our lives are taken up with everything, everything. Like, what do you do during the day? I mean, think of all the things that you do. Eat, sleep, organize your money, drive a car. Think of all of those things. And then when it comes to Sunday, and it comes to what I do, for example, for the kids across the road on a Sunday morning, or um, at the life course thing, well, that's just a kind of a, 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 an almost I didn't think about it kind of thing. It, you, you fit it in, but it's just a fitting in. It is not the most important moment in the week. I want to challenge you that if you're the person who's sitting here and listening to this and you're not doing anything for the gospel's sake, participating in the work, using the gifts that you've been given, I want to challenge you this evening to work out, is, is that a gap I could fill? Or do you think to yourself, I'm not gifted? Well, the very kind Holy Spirit, He has gifted you. I'm not gifted. Or What, what is it that holds you back? Or I want that gift because that person is much better and he gets much more attention because he's exercising that gift. The gifts are from God. Spirit, Holy Spirit, Son, Father, God is the source of these gifts. And they're for His mission the building up of people in Christ, the pointing of people towards Christ. And you have all that you need. The workforce, the army, whatever it is, the, the team is in this building this evening. And you have a part as much as anyone else. 
See, this is the direction of Paul. What's Paul doing? What is he? He's proclaiming Jesus to the ends of the earth. He's proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles. He's bringing the good news of Jesus, Christ crucified, to those who do not know Jesus, who do not have hope, who do not have salvation, who do not have forgiveness, who do not have, well, they're just in despair, aren't they? Human beings are in despair without Jesus. I guess this evening you might be in despair because you don't know Jesus. Life is desperate if Jesus does not exist, did not die, did not rise again. Life is desperate. And when you push yourself, you realize, and, and in, the, in the kind of the wee hours of the morning, you realize that, well, does life have any meaning? Is life worth it? People have different answers to that. But fundamentally, the answer that will last forever is that Jesus is Lord. He died on the cross. He took on my sin, your sin. And what is our job? Our job is to point people who do not know to Jesus. That's the job of this church. And everything that's necessary for the work of the good news of Jesus is here. Is here. So are you spiritual? Are you truly spiritual? Does Jesus consume you? Does his gospel consume you? Is his mission the thing that drives you, that holds you, that you cannot think of anything else during the course of the day other than the next conversation about Jesus that I'm going to have? Is that what's driving you? So, being truly spiritual, it's about Jesus. It's about diversity and unity. Diverse gifts. Isn't that really good? Isn't that really cool? So I've got my part. You've got your part. We've all got our part. And those gifts are to be used in the direction of others. Not me, my own personal reputation. But serving you as you serve me. You may think you're not gifted. Oh, you are. You may think you can't do anything. Oh, you can. You may think I could never be involved because I don't have a degree in theology or I'm not a, a great speaker or I'm not a... Paul tells us you've been given gifts. There are things that you can do, a place for you that no one else can fill. And in repentance, obedience, and servanthood, we turn to the Lord Jesus. We find out just exactly what that is. I'm going to pray. Um, on your seats, they're getting connected or welcome to church cards. And what we do every Sunday evening is just we take a minute afterwards and maybe you've got questions or comments or you'd like to chat to me or indeed to Peter, the other minister here. No one else will see these cards. And over tea and coffee, they'll be collected or the, you can drop it in the back there. Maybe you want to have a chat about exactly where do you fit in this church family, maybe you want to have a chat about, well, what can I do and what are my strengths and what are my propensities and so on and so forth. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to help you. Um, so we're going to take a minute now. There'll be a bit of music playing. And if everyone could do this so that no one feels odd, if everyone could do this, um, just scribble your name, um, mobile number, I think, and email address, and then just put a comment. And you can tick if one of those boxes there uh, represents how you're thinking and what you're uh, wanting to chat about. Please do uh, fill that out first. Thanks very much. I'm going to pray. 
and then some music will come on magically. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are so kind that all of you is involved in building your church, that you have sent your Spirit into this world, as you sent Jesus into this world, to serve us. Lord, thank you for the equipping of the Holy Spirit in gifts so that we can see your kingdom grow, your gospel established, that people may come to know you, trust you, know their sins forgiven. Father, please help us this evening. Please teach us this evening. Please may we be those who serve willingly, not begrudgingly, not jealously, but willingly. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.